Hi, this is Alan K. Rohde, author and film historian, and you are listening to Tim Millard's podcast, The Extras. Hello and welcome to The Extras, where we take you behind the scenes of your favorite TV shows, movies, and animation, and they're released on digital, DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K, or your favorite streaming site. I'm Tim Millard, your host. And joining me is George Feldenstein to announce the July Blu-ray releases from the Warner Archive. Hi, George. Hey, Tim. How are you? Good. I I always enjoy these announcement episodes. I think everybody does because it's always exciting to hear what's coming. So how many do we have? We have have a sextet of sensational picks for July. Oh, that's terrific. uh, uh, I'm particularly excited about all of them because they each have their own kind of different niche in a different way. And as it always is the case or rarely isn't the case, there's a story behind each one of these new masters and what went into them. And it's kind of fascinating. So I guess we'll start with the first one, which is uh, the first sound motion picture to win the Academy Award for Best Picture the second Academy Award winner for Best Picture Ever. That's the Broadway Melody, which was released in early 1929. And the film was very famous for being kind of the, uh, one of the first of the early talkie films that had a very structured plot and original songs for the movie that will sound familiar to fans of Singing in the Rain, because this is where the Arthur Friedacio Herb Brown songs written for MGM began with this film. And uh, it stars Charles King, who was a Broadway actor and imported to Culver City uh, to make this film. And Bessie Love and Anita Page are two sisters uh, who are trying to make it in show business. And uh, the film is, as of right now, it's 94 years old. Wow. So uh, what's particularly exciting for me about this is this restoration is not only a quantum leap in quality beyond what's been available before, but we actually found additional footage that had been removed from the 35 millimeter negative for some reason. We don't really know why. It's only about 30 seconds worth of footage from the very beginning of the movie with uh, shots of Manhattan, but it was found in 16 millimeter. And the way it is included in this master looks so good you wouldn't even know that it came from 16 millimeter. The fact that we were able to add a little bit of footage that was missing is very, very encouraging. And as we had done with the DVD of this title, which came out 19 years ago, uh, we stuffed the disc with a lot of early talky era short subjects. And all of those short subjects are included in this as well. We have five movie Metro Movie Tone review shorts, and most of them run between 15 and 20 minutes, 
and they're basically vaudeville acts that were very often released to theaters as little five-minute films, but MGM put some of them together in compilations at the time. So we have number one, number two, number three, number four, and number seven. Uh, We don't know what happened to five and six. There's no record of the film elements, but with material that's this old, the fact that it survived at all is remarkable. And so all of those are included here. People who who have the previous DVD, uh, they can now use it as a coaster because the Blu-ray has all of the same content. Uh, not just the four Metro Movie Tone reviews, but we also have one little short with uh, Gus Van and Joe Skank who were a vaudeville duo who made a couple of other shorts for MGM, made one for Vitaphone that we can't find, and uh, they even starred in their own MGM feature called They Learned About Women in 1930. And uh, I get a particular kick out of them. And then last but not least, we have the Dogway Melody, which is part of the Dogville comedies where they spoof films of the day with all dog casts. And we released a DVD of all the Dogway shorts uh, many years ago, but this way you'll have it all in this neat package. Uh, But the improvement in picture and sound quality, I think, will be jaw-dropping to a lot of people. And it enhances the ability of people to enjoy the film, which is really, really important. Because when you're looking at an old, battered presentation, It doesn't draw you in as much. And I think people may have a better uh, experience watching this film than they have in the past just due to the big uptick in quality. I also noticed, George, beyond the amazing uh, list of extras, the runtime at 100 minutes, which that's pretty robust for a film this old, it felt like. Yeah, and, and what happened was at the dawn of sound, MGM was the last studio to really get on the bandwagon and embrace sound. Um, And when they did, uh, Irving Thalberg was the driving force behind that. And he wanted to make sure that if they were going to do, you know, a fully sound feature, that it would really knock people's socks off. And he particularly, He never got credit as a producer. Uh, The only film his name appears on is the film that was released posthumously after his untimely death, a very young man, uh, The Good Earth, but he never allowed his name to be on any films. But he personally produced this, found Frieden Brown to write the songs. Uh, It's got his fingerprints all over it. And I've had the good fortune to spend a lot of time reading through the production files on this and seeing what went into it. And it was so um, wild, wild west, if you will. It was such early days in terms of sound and everything that they had to go through. And MGM did not have any recording stages for the music. So they actually had to do some recording for this film at 20th Century, well, that wasn't 20th Century Fox then, it was Fox Film. Uh, but, you know, I even found the 
uh, log sheets of when they went to the Fox studio to record some audio. So uh, this is the first of the six releases. Very exciting. The next one is also a Best Picture Oscar winner, uh, this time coming from RKO in 1931, and it's the first film version of Edna Ferber's Semiram. And this film is even more impressive in its improvement of quality. Uh, I found it, frankly, astounding. Because everything I've seen on this film before, going back to watching it on VHS as a consumer, um, it was riddled with damage and it just, it was, it was almost impossible to watch. And now it's revelatory. It is crisp and clean. And once again, I know I sound like a broken record with this, but Warner Brothers Motion Picture Imaging really outdid themselves with this. And uh, it is a very, like most Edna Ferber stories, especially Showboat and So Big and even Giant, she wrote these, you know, epic novels that span time and they're about interpersonal relationships. And... uh, I think just the opening sequence alone with the Oklahoma land rush is mind-boggling that they could do that at that time. And move the cameras, which, you know, and shoot sound out in the middle of the boonies. It's really, really uh, impressive. So this new presentation really helps to hammer home what they achieved in in making this film. Now, I should mention both about the Broadway Melody and Cimarron, unfortunately, we do not have any trailer materials. It's very rare to find trailers from this era. Uh, But we do have extras on on the uh, Blu-ray. Two of them were on the DVD, but we added an extra one here. We have two uh, HD early, early Warner Brothers cartoons, Lady Player Mandolin, which I believe was the first Merry Melodies. Gotta double check that. I believe was the first. And then another one called Redheaded Baby. That was on the old DVD. And then we have an MGM short uh, called The Devil's Cabaret, Cabaret, which is in two-color Technicolor. And uh, that is an incredible rarity. And it does feature a musical sequence that was drawn from the never-finished feature, The March of Time, which MGM started making in 1930 and abandoned after spending a million dollars on it. So little, little fragments from that film show up in short subjects of the era. And this is one of them. I wish that we had more Cimarron-related extras to put with this, but there's not a lot to choose from. And uh, the film's the thing. The film looks really remarkable. And there are a lot of people out there that like to have a collection of all the Best Picture Oscar winners. 
and uh, we have a few more that we need to get to, and uh, there will be another one coming soon. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So uh, have you seen Cimarron, Tim? I have not. So I'm looking forward to it. I was just looking at some of the still pictures from it and everything and, and just little clips online. And I'm looking forward to seeing this restoration in the new master. Yeah. I, I think you will, you'll be very impressed with it, especially from even aside from the fact that it's very captivating entertainment. Right. It's quite an achievement in such an early part of the sound era. Uh, the next film that will be coming in July is Do Barry Was a Lady from 1943. And this is one of our Technicolor restorations, 4K scan off the nitrate camera negatives, recombined using our proprietary technology. And it looks and sounds absolutely amazing. Now, this is one where the DVD that came out, you know, 16, 17 years ago, didn't look awful, uh, but didn't look that good. And you're going several generations away. You couldn't get the Technicolor to be aligned the way we can doing it this way. The difference here is amazing. And this was shot... Shortly after Lucille Ball migrated from RKO to sign on with MGM and where Sidney Gilleroff had decided as the studio's hairstylist to dye Lucy's hair with that henna rinse that we've all come to know and love. And they called her Technicolor Tessie at, at MGM because of the way she looked in Technicolor. And she does look extraordinarily beautiful in this movie. Uh, she plays along with Gene Kelly, who was really at the beginning of his film career. He had just made for me and my gal. And uh, he's her love interest in the movie. And Red, Red Skelton is really uh, the, the prime co-star, actually, because... He was at the height of his screen fandom. And this is an adaptation of a Broadway show which had a Cole Porter score. It was with Ethel Merman. And as often happened at the time, uh, basically only three songs of Cole Porter's were used in the film. And the rest of the songs in the film were added from the MGM songwriters. But the whole thing is uh, is very funny, very charming, and it was produced by Arthur Freed, who is really the great producer of musicals at MGM. And uh, this new presentation is it's luscious looking. I've never seen it look so good. So I think people will be very happy with that. And we have ported over the same special features we had on the DVD. Pete Smith's short called Seeing Hands and a Barney Bear cartoon called Ba Wilderness, as well as the trailer. So I think this will be very, very much well-received by the fans. Yeah, and your your scans of these nitric Technicolor camera negatives have uh, been looking terrific. So looking forward to this one as well. Well, it's always a treat when we have them and when they're complete, because in yeah. some cases we have... We're missing a few reels because of the fire. 
This one, we had the whole thing, and both the picture and audio went through uh, significant uh, restoration, and the, the results show on screen. Uh, the next film, I'm going obviously in alphabetical order, uh, it takes us to 1956, and this is what I call an adult Western. This is uh, a Western from 1956, The Fastest Been Alive. Glenn Ford is the star. Very good supporting cast. Gene Crane, Broderick Crawford, and uh, 21-year-old Russ Hamblin, uh, who is given a little acrobatic dance to do in the middle of the movie, which has nothing to do with the plot, but it's kind of showing how showing off his acrobatic uh, talents that he uh, put on display during Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. So it's actually, uh, I've noticed that a, a clip of it has gone viral on YouTube and gotten a lot of attention. Uh, but uh, Glenn Ford is a, is a very, in this film, he's a very uh, happy married man, uh, lovely wife, and living in a small town, but he is a past, and his past catches up with him when an evil Bluto-like character played by Broderick Crawford comes into town. And as when we talked about Portrait Father the other day, uh, Glenn Ford is great in everything he does. Yeah, yeah. Really am impressed by the commitment he made to his work as an actor. He's terrific in this film. And a lot of people really love this movie. It, it is a fan, a favorite among fans of 50s Westerns. So uh, to have a 4K scan off the camera negative on this, again, you'll see it as you've never seen it before. The difference is not as dramatic as uh, some of the older pictures, but it's just as important and impressive, and it's going to look gorgeous. Um, on this, we're also adding uh, two Tom and Jerry cartoons. Uh, they're both in HD, Blue Cat Blues and Down Beat Bear, both of which were released in 1956, hence their inclusion here. And... Uh, we're very, very excited about this release. It's a nice companion piece, actually, to Cimarron, in that it's a more adult approach to the Western genre. And this one also has the trailer uh, with it as well? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, we always try to include the trailer wherever possible, but uh, I'm struggling with one now because I can't seem to find... Uh, a decent source because a lot of the masters on the trailers were made years ago and have digital hits. Then we have to try to find the film elements and trailers were never given as much care as they should have been. Right. And uh, so we're always hopeful that we can get a trailer through, but there very much will be a trailer on, on our next film along with other goodies. And that is Helen of Troy. Robert Wise's film from 1956. I remember when we put the DVD out to, at the time that the Brad Pitt movie Troy was coming out. And I said, hey guys, we've got Helen of Troy. It's the same story, but 
told in 1956, let's put it out. So we did. Uh, but now we're redoing it, going back to the camera negative, and it looks gorgeous. It has a 5-1 track, so it sounds amazing. It has, I believe it has an overture. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful presentation. This picture was filmed totally overseas. And one of the cool things uh, about this is that in the special features, we have not one, not two, but three little six-minute behind-the-scenes featurettes that were shot for the behind-the-camera portion of Warner Brothers Presents uh, when it was a television series on ABC in the 1955-56 season. They would stop whatever show they were doing and have six minutes of the host, Gig Young, being, quote-unquote, behind the camera and interviewing people on the sets of Warner Brothers movies of the time. And they did three of them for Helen of Troy, so they're all on this disc. And then we added a 1956 Warner Brothers cartoon with Mr. Bugs Bunny, the Oscar-winning rabbit. Napoleon Bunny Part, and that's in HD, and of course, there'll be the trailer. And uh, this is a very much Sword and Sandals 1956-style telling of the story of uh, Troy and what was going on in D.C., and uh, Rosanna Podesta is the leading lady, and the object of her affection is... Jacques Cernas, but uh, in the U.S., Warner Brothers decided to make him Jack. So if you look at foreign posters, you'll see him referred to as Jacques, but in the U.S., uh, it's just Jack. Right. So that's how we were, we're maintaining that, uh, that level of accuracy. And uh, Robert Wise had quite a uh, substantial amount of work on this because there were over 30,000 people cast in the movie uh, and it cost $6 million to make. I think it was the most expensive Warner Brothers production up until that time. Wow. Uh, and if not the most expensive, it was uh, one of the two or three that went to that kind of cost because that's like spending $180 million now. Yeah. And that doesn't include prints and advertising. Right. So uh, this is one, this is actually the last of the 10 Warner brothers films that was selected uh, by the film foundation as a good choice for the WB 100th. Uh, and, of course, all the work was done at Warner Brothers Motion Picture Imaging, but with the promotional blessing of the Film Foundation. I'm very grateful for how supportive they've been with the WB100. Right. And then the last film we're going to talk about is The Last Time I Saw Paris from 1954. And this, this film has a very interesting story. To it. It's based on an F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, tome called Babylon Revisited. And 
it's it's filmed by Richard Brooks, who's a great director. Not appreciated enough, in my opinion, because he made so many great movies. He's a man of great integrity. And this is one of the few of the early Elizabeth Taylor MGM performances where she's really given a good script and she's terrific. And Van Johnson is the lead. And the story is uh, beautifully told. It's a little bit of a tearjerker, I'll say that much. Not only are we presenting it in the original aspect ratio, but once again, it's a 4A scan of the original Technicolor negatives. This may have been MGM's last three-strip Technicolor film. I'm not saying that definitively. But if it wasn't the last, it was one of the last. I think it was the last because they had pretty much settled into Ansco color and Eastman color. Thank goodness they shot this Technicolor because we recombined the three strips. It looks amazing. And uh, we're, we're going out with the clarity that this, this movie is monaural. And that's how it was released. However, the music was recorded in stereo. And going back to the Laserdisc days, we put the main title in stereo. And that is the way it will be here as well. Uh, We didn't have the ability to create a whole new stereo mix for it. And contrary to popular opinion, MGM did not release at least to our records. We don't have records that they did. Uh, they did not release non-Cinemascope movies with stereophonic tracks, with the exception of Kiss Me Kate. Uh, and some of the early things they did in, like, 1953 uh, that weren't even... Uh, they were shot Academy ratio. Uh, it was a time of enormous transition. But... I noticed that since the Laserdisc and the DVD that we put out had the main title with stereo music, I wanted to convey that this Blu-ray will have that as well. But to say that the film itself is fully stereophonic would be misleading. So only on a place like the extras, Tim, where I get to talk about these things, can I convey to the consumers exactly what's going on in that regard. And for a special feature for this, since it's the last time I saw Paris, we picked a 1954 Tom and Jerry cartoon, Touche Pussycat, that takes place, guess where? In Paris. And uh, I believe this was the first of the MGM cartoons to be made in Cinemascope. I think it was the first. So, of course, the presentation will be Letterbox and HD, and it looks terrific. And the trailer will be on the disc as well. But uh, this film has been circulating, looking pretty awful. Uh, I think our DVD was an improvement from what was generally around. But now coming off the negative, having that Technicolor alignment and... uh, even our, our creative team came up with artwork that was really, really superb. 
and uh, not the floating heads that we're used to seeing in all the original posters for this movie. So uh, very, very pleased that this rounds out the sextet of what's coming in July. Well, this is another terrific lineup. And I love how, you know, you're covering the, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, again, four decades and just a variety of different genres. So uh, I'm sure fans are looking forward to all of these coming. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you to do the reviews down the road where we'll get into it a little bit more. But uh, thank you so much for coming on and announcing these. On uh, the it's my pleasure. And I wanted to get the information out there so that folks know what to expect. And uh, it's a nice group of titles, and we're already hard at work on the titles that will follow. So lots to look forward to, people. Keep your chins up. Terrific. Thanks, George. Well, July is looking like another strong month of Blu-ray releases for the Warner Archive. Pre-order links from MovieZing are currently available for those who are ready to order right away. And I will post more information on these releases on our Facebook page and in our new Facebook group called the Warner Archive and Warner Brothers Catalog Group. So look for all of those links in the podcast show notes. And just as a reminder, George and I recently reviewed the May Blu-rays. So look for those podcasts if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to them. And we will have a review of the June releases coming later this month. And those review episodes give us a chance to really deep dive into each film and all the extras, so I think you'll enjoy those. Whether you are a first-time listener or a long-term fan of the show, don't forget to follow or subscribe at your favorite podcast provider. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming podcasts. Until next time, you've been listening to Tim Millard. Stay Slightly Obsessed. Hi, this is Tim Millard, host of the Extras Podcast, and I wanted to let you know that we have a new private Facebook group for fans of the Warner Archive and Warner Brothers Catalog physical media releases. So if that interests you, you can find the link on our Facebook page or look for the link in the podcast show notes.